You are listening. Wait, how hot to- is it there? Sorry. <laughs> You're not listening. <laughs> listening to film kids giant squids and other things that think they're deep i'm Lindsay, and i'm brooke and this week we're talking about bicycle thieves and premium rush and not nixon surprisingly not nixon you're spared for a year i think they're gonna be spared for a lot longer i don't know if i can if i personally can withstand another nixon month you're spared for a year when i will bring it up whether or not brooke wants to <laughs> It's a good thing that I pick most of our pairings. I get one pairing a year and it'll be a Nixon (laughs) pairing. (laughs) But before we can get into some biking. And thieving. Yeah, some both bikes and thievery. We have to talk about what the film kids are talking about in 127 Hours with a Film Kid. 127 Hours with a Film Kid. So first, we're going to talk about Lindsay's favorite subject. Unions? Unions. Unions! (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about IATSE before on this podcast, but if for some reason you don't remember because it's not that important to your life, IATSE is the union for people on set who are basically not guild members. There's a lot of different locals that have different specializations, but basically if you're on set working and you're not in a guild, you are likely eligible to be in IATSE. If it's a union production, obviously. So IATSE, last time we talked about it, we said, hey, they're negotiating and negotiations aren't looking good. They are looking even worse now. Oh no, this is a bad union update. I mean, it depends on if you like strikes. A strike is potentially imminent. I thought you were going to explain what a strike is. I was like, Brooke, that's not film specific. Yeah, well, I mean, there is such a thing called striking on set, which is when you turn on the lights. Okay, that's fair. And you do have to shout, striking. I like the idea that someone shouts that and the entire All the crew is leave. like, yeah! <laughs> I really hope that that Pay moment does happen. <laughs> Someone's like, striking! And they're like, let's go, let's go! <laughs> but a strike is potentially happening. Basically, like I said, negotiations between IATSE and AMPTP. I don't know if you say AMPTP. Like we say, IATSE. <laughs> they have failed to reach agreement on new film and TV contract. Once again, the deadline was September 10th. It expired at midnight on September 10th, and they had not met an agreement. Negotiations are still continuing. The union said in the latest update, quote, the party's extension agreement expired at midnight on September 10th, but negotiations continue. In the meantime, the status quo remains in effect and all members should continue to report to work. Information will be provided as it becomes available. That being said, IATSE then on September 11th put out a notice to its members being like, hey, we're having a town hall on the 12th. That has not happened yet as of recording, so I cannot say what the town hall meeting amongst its members will be if it's just to give them the status update of like where they are in negotiations or to be like hey we are going to start striking as of x day if IATSE does strike this will be the first time that they strike like ever ever how long have they been an organization 1893 oh my god I'm shocked that they have never striked maybe it's the first time they've had a widespread strike yeah so it would be the first ever industry-wide strike in the union's history this could mean really weird I don't know if anyone who listens to this podcast remembers the 2008 writers strike that really fucked 
up television, but this would fuck it up even more because at least in 2008 you could do non-scripted TV. There was a lot of like off-season reality contests doing like a double season just to make up for the scripted. My god, I'm sad I don't remember that. But IOTC is not just scripted content. IOTC is everywhere. This would really truly mess up with TV if they go on strike. The last time Hollywood crews staged a major walkout was during World War II. So long ago. Yeah. The IOTC represents around 43,000 Hollywood workers. Last time we talked about IOTC, I talked about why they were like negotiating for better living wages, but a lot more like higher rates. If you don't really understand what these negotiations are or what IOTC is even trying to get for, I highly recommend the Instagram account IOTC Stories. We'll link it in our show notes. It's just screenshots of like Instagram DMs, obviously anonymously, of people who are working IOTC union jobs and just the horrible things like being like the long hours, the more and more people, basically part of the union agreements for the last contract is that like, oh, you're required to get a lunch hour if you don't get that lunch hour, you get a penalty, a meal penalty, basically meaning you get more money. And people are like, hey, that's nice. And some people really like more money. But also, if I am forced to work through lunch with my position, it's not like I can eat and do my job. Like, I have to then yeah. give up lunch so that I'm working 12 hours without food. And, like, I don't want that meal penalty anymore. I just want guaranteed lunch. Jeez. The Instagram account is very good of like humanizing and like giving very specific stories. So if it'll interest you at all, go check it out. Next, and in some lighter fare, we have the Venice Film Festival. Ooh. So Venice Film Fest, it was from September 1st to September 11th. It obviously happens in Venice. I like the idea of them just naming things at random and have them take place at random cities just to throw everyone off. Yeah, that would be really fun, but that's not what they did. Sad. Some highlights. So Dune, which is the Dennis Villanueva film with Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, which by the way, I don't know if you saw what Zendaya was wearing on the red carpet, but she looked fucking incredible. Oh my god, yeah. That dress was made of leather and I don't know how. It was so beautiful. 127 hours of Zendaya. Uh, Truly. Dune premiered at Venice and it got an eight minute standing ovation. Oh my god. Which like... I don't know. Film festivals, they always give really long standing ovations. Like, it's not really that. I mean, like, it's notable, but it's not remarkable, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, the people there are dramatic anyway. Yeah. Speaking of Zendaya, Zendaya was on the cover of, I think, British Vogue. In the interview for the magazine, she talked about wanting to be a director and calling for change in diversity in Hollywood, basically saying, quote, if I ever do become a filmmaker, I know that the leads of my films will always be black women. And people took that to Twitter and lost their minds. Oh my god. People are like, that's racist. How dare she say that? And it's just like, it's not racist. It's not racist. Like when, I don't know, when Judd Apatow only has white people in his films, like that's not racist. And then cast the same people forever. A black woman wanting to tell stories about black women, that just feels it's very natural. Like Pretty, yeah. <laughs> so the Dune premiere, it got an eight minute standing ovation. It seemed to go over well. Most people were just like, wow, like, watch it in IMAX, watch it in theaters. Like, this is something you want to see in theaters, which is fair. Yeah, I'm sure it's really beautiful. The other thing I want to talk about Venice is the Golden Lion winners. What are Golden Lions? The, like, Oscar trophy. It's, like, the award at the end. Okay. For, like, best screenplay, best director. Like, they call them the Golden Lions. 
because that's what they do in Venice. Last year, Chloe Zhao won for No Man Land. Oh my god, that was a year ago. Yeah. Also, I did just misspeak. There's the Golden Lion, which is the top prize, and then everything else is just like the grand jury prize. I'm sad everything else isn't just like a regular lion. <laughs> they don't even get a lion. And this year, for the first time ever, another female director won, making it the sixth woman to ever win the Golden Lion, but the first time ever that two women have won back-to-back. French-Lebanese filmmaker Audrey Dewan won with her film, which I will not pronounce it in French, but it is called Happening. What is it about? It is set in 1963, and a bright young student falls pregnant, seeing her opportunities to finish her studies and excel slipping from her as her final exams approach and her social life begins to fade and finds her tummy growing at an alarming rate, forcing her to confront the shame and pain of an abortion, even if she must risk prison to do so. Timely. It is based off of a novel. Sadly. Of the same name by Annie Ernault. It's like a autobiographical novel. So it won the top prize, The Golden Lion, which one is pretty... I don't know. Just, again, seeing another woman director, filmmaker is incredible, and I am all for women doing film things. We need more of it. Dewan, like she said in her speech, I did this movie with anger. I did it with desire. Also, my heart and my head. I wanted happening to be an experience, a journey in the skin of this young woman. There were other winners. Penelope Cruz took the prize for Best Actress in the film Parallel Mothers, which is kind of an upset because people were expecting Kristen Stewart to win for Spencer. I didn't even know Kristen Stewart was nominated for things. Nominated is not the right word for film fest. Was available to win things. There you go. Because basically how it is is like the films all get entered and they're all technically nominated then. Yeah. I didn't know she was in a film. Oh my god. This year. Spencer, she's playing Diana. The Silver Lion, which is the runner-up to the Gold Lion, went to The Hand of God, which is an upcoming Netflix film. But the lead, Filippo Scotti, he won an award for Best New Young Actor. Who, like, people have been billing him and, like, talking about this guy as the Italian Timothy Chalamet. Is he supposed to look like Timothy Chalamet or just the same vibes? Same vibes. Okay, I get same vibes. But in his, like, acceptance speech, Scotty, like, went on and, like, was just gushing about the director and gushing about, like, being there. And, like, he's really young, I think. He's 21. So, like, he's just, like, a 21-year-old kid just, like... Excited. Excited to be there. To the point where, um, the jury president, Bong Joon-ho, like, the guy who directed Parasite, he commented, quote, so cute. Oh, I just, the famous man who had just such a cute reaction to winning Oscars to comment so cute. Now calling other people cute. (laughs) Maggie Gyllenhaal won for her best screenplay, but it's written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's going to be in limited theaters in the middle of December, but really it'll be on Netflix December 31st. But yeah, that's kind of like the highlights of what happened at Venice. And that is what film kids are talking about this week. If you see a film kid, ask them what they think the cutest part part of the Venice Film Festival was. (laughs) Bicycle Thieves. My shitty tweet summary is, a guy just trying to do his job is forced to become both cop and robber and ultimately disappoints his perfect son. (laughs) His son is perfect. Mine is, a father learns the hard way that only hot guys can get away with stealing. You found him hot? He's hotter than the main character. I disagree. Like, I strongly disagree. He also, like, has the vibes of a hot guy. He has the vibes of a hot guy. And the main character does not. I agree there. 
Again, I don't think you see faces, I just think you read vibes. It was directed by Vittorio De Sica and released in 1948 in Italy. I feel like we've taken a break from film lectures because of Nixon month. So let's do a film kid lecture and we get to learn about a new film movement called Italian neorealism. Ooh, popping right back into September with some film history again. Yeah, back to school, back to film history. What? So Italian neorealism, which is also like by Italian filmmakers and Italian like film scholars, it's called the golden age, but like nowhere else in the world is it called the golden age. It's like the golden age of Italian filmmaking. <laughs> so do people like the golden age in America? Does everyone call it the golden age or just Americans? Well, it's called the golden age of Hollywood, so yeah. Oh, okay. I feel like a lot of American filmmakers and American film scholars will just refer to the golden age of Hollywood as the golden age, much like the golden Everyone has a golden age, I guess is what I'm saying. Italian neorealism was a movement from 1943-ish to... 1952. It was a film movement characterized by stories that were normally almost always about the poor, the working class, where they'd be filmed on location using non-professional actors, and they would center around the economic struggles and the moral struggles of post-World War II Italy. That makes sense. I did look up some of the people and I was like, this is their only movie. Yep. (laughs) Italian neorealism came about as World War II ended and just there was a lot of change in Italy. The neorealist style was developed by a circle of like five Italian film critics, filmmakers, and the magazine Cinema. So like, Cinema was an Italian filmmaking magazine that the editor-in-chief was the son of Mussolini. So oh. the magazine was not allowed to talk about politics at all. Go figure. <laughs> That's like how the Washington Post now all have these articles that's like, Bezos is okay. Yeah, it's like, "Mm, should we really hate billionaires? (laughs) Yes. Yes, we should. Since they couldn't talk about politics, the critics then attacked these, what were called as Telefoni Bianchi films or white telephone films. So... These white telephone films were popular in the 1930s and they were pretty much strictly an imitation of American comedies of the time. And they were characterized by really expensive sets, like high production sets with white telephones, which were like a status symbol of wealth. I don't know why a white oh. telephone was more expensive than a normal telephone, but it was. <laughs> so if you had a white telephone, you had money. It would also like, it featured a lot of like, all the kids would have like the Shirley Temple curls and very like, the plot would be very socially conservative, promoting family values, and kind of were just in line with the ideology of the fascist regime. And like anything that was potentially controversial in these films, such as divorce which was illegal in Italy or adultery or anything like that the film wouldn't be set in Italy it would be like either just a foreign country or like a fictitious foreign country but it would still have like the Italian protagonist it would just be like it's not in Italy so it's not illegal it's fine I also just like was like why would people even get married if divorce is illegal and then I was like oh because women couldn't do things That's such a fucking gamble. These kind of film critics were attacking these very popular films and were saying that Italian cinema should return to, like, 
realist, like the realism and the realist writers that were popular at the turn of the 20th century. And so, so like the filmmakers that were in neorealism pretty much were inspired by both documentary films and also these calligraphismo films, which were like a more artistic, but like less popular style of filmmaking that was in the early 1940s. Critics kind of debate when the true beginning of neorealism was. The first film is generally thought to be this film called Ossessione, which was released in 1943 before Italy was liberated from the German occupation. But neorealism became famous globally, like became like a true global movement in 1946 with Rome Open City when it won the grand prize at Cannes Film Fest and was the first major film produced in Italy after World War II. The decline of neorealism, this wasn't a long movement. Like it's like true part of it was like from 46 to like 51, 52. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, like, was not a long movement at all. What caused the decline of it was, one, the Italian economic miracle. As Italian, like, people were starting to feel the first positive effects of it, the themes of neorealism and this poverty and the struggle just weren't as relevant to the audience, but more so it was the stories depicting poverty and despair and moral dilemmas was just kind of really demoralizing and Italian people were like, hey. <laughs> we're like, we don't want to be sad anymore. Give us the propaganda back. They were more drawn to the American movies at the time, which were much more optimistic and much more happy. And so that kind of caused the decline of Italian neorealism. So Italian neorealism, even though it's such a short period, has had a dramatic impact on both Italian filmmaking, but just filmmaking everywhere. It's clearly seen in French New Wave cinema, which kind of came directly after, kind of it started in the 50s. That's funny. I like that they were like, we still want to be sad. <laughs> we're going to keep with this theme. The French were a very sad people. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we're not moving on. But it also, like, the abandonment of the traditional way of cinema of, like, you have to be on a set, you have to have standard actors like, like it all has to be staged the italian realism of kind of the opposite of this quasi documentary like a staged documentary it really impacted modern cinema and can be seen everywhere and a lot of filmmakers reference italian neorealism and bicycle thieves in particular as one of their main influences huh like what like like people today or yeah. just like people in like the 50s and 60s so in 1952, was the Bicycle Thieves was deemed the greatest film of all time by oh Sight and Sound magazine's poll of filmmakers and critics. 50 years later, so in 2002, the magazine did the same poll where it, Bicycle Thieves was ranked sixth overall is the greatest ever film. They've done similar things since in 2012, which is the last time they have released this list. They split it between critics and directors. The film ranks 33rd among critics and 10th among directors. Turner Classic Movies lists this film as the most influential film in cinema history. Oh my god. I literally never heard of it. <laughs> Martin Scorsese. It's a really weird thing. Like, people reference this all the time. So basically, there was a young filmmaker, Colin Levy, who submitted a short film to an award. I don't know how young he was at this meeting. Basically he submitted a short film to this film fest, the Young Arts Award and he like won the film fest and then also part of that allowed him to get a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Martin Scorsese. After the meeting, Scorsese like sent him like a letter being like, thanks for meeting with me. It was nice talking to you. Also here's a list of 39 foreign films you should watch. 
much. And, like, Bicycle Thieves was mentioned on there. So it was Nosferatu. It's also funny because I was like, Bicycle Thieves has to be the name of the of my movie. Like, <laughs> just the vibes I was getting from it. I'm like, that's the Squid movie. Nope. <laughs> and then I typed it in and saw it was, like, an Italian movie from the 40s. And I was like, that's definitely not my movie. <laughs> So this film has a huge legacy, and Italian neorealism has a huge legacy as well. But when this film was first released, it was not received well in Italy for various different reasons. One, Italians themselves, like, they viewed it with, like, hostility, and they're like, this film portrays Italians negatively. Interesting. Film critics, some of them thought that it was too sentimental. Neorealist film directors said that it couldn't be considered a neorealist film because he used a professional actor to dub over the guy who plays Antonio. They dub some of his lines. That's funny. (laughs) Which, it's so funny because now is the most popular Italian neorealist film and it's like, at the time, Italian neorealist directors were like, this shit isn't it, bro. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even know (laughs) neorealist. Luigi Bartolini, who is the author from which the title is taken, absolutely hated this film. (laughs) He was like, the spirit of my book has been ruined and betrayed. Oh my god. (laughs) What was the spirit of his book? He says that the protagonist was supposed to be a middle-class intellectual and that the theme was not about poverty or any of that. It was just the breakdown of civil order. Okay, he was probably just, like, anti-poor people then. Yeah. <laughs> that mad that they were in the movie. How dare you make okay, me care no, about the poor. Fuck off. <laughs> when it was released globally, like, when it made it, to American audiences, it was well-loved. The New York Times, in its original review, said, The Italians have sent us a brilliant and devastating film in Vittorio De Sica's rueful drama of modern city life. Like I said, this is Italian neorealism. Sica, the director, this was not his first film. He had previously made Shoeshine in 1946, but couldn't get financial backing for this film from any major studios, so he was just like, fuck it. I'll make it myself, and raise money himself from friends, and he, along with a bunch of people, including Cesar Zavattini, wrote the script for it, using the title and a few plot devices of the novel by Luigi Bartolini. He shot only on location, there's no single set, and cast only untrained actors. Like, the reason why he cast a lot of the actors was because of something that paralleled their lives, like, into his story. So... Oh my god, how did they get this amazing child then? So, Lamberto Maggiorani, like, the reason he was cast, he was a factory worker that, like, showed up to the audition with his son, not to, like, have his son be in the film, just, like, how in this film his son... <gasps> was that his real son? No, that was... His son didn't oh. get cast, but, like, Desica was like, oh... Sad. You bring your son everywhere. You understand this character that brings his son everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Enzo Staiola, who's the son in the film, Bruno, who is eight years old. He was cast. He didn't show up to any audition, but he was literally just like standing there watching the film's production. And they're like, you know the role of a boy that just stands and watches for a lot of the time. It's yours. (laughs) Also, just, like, imagine having enough wealthy friends that you're just like, I want to make a movie, and they're all like, okay, and then you could just fund it. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, none of the actors are, like, real actors. They're just people. Very Nomadland. It is very Nomadland-esque. 
now to get into the plot of this film. So we're in Rome, Italy. Antonio Ricci, he gets a job putting up posters, but the guy, like, handing out the jobs is like, you need a bike. And Antonio is like, well, I don't have one right now. And he's like, well, then you don't have a job right now. And Antonio's like, no, I'll, I'll have a bike. I right, please give me this job. I like that he was like, do you have a bike? And he was like, I will show up here tomorrow with a bike. Like, that's not the answer to the question. I mean, it's enough of an answer. <laughs> so he goes home to his wife and tells her about the job and is like, oh, I can't believe I pawned that bike. And his wife is like, well, we had to eat, didn't we? And so then he like goes and sits on the bed. And then I thought his wife just had Lindsay energy and was upset by the fact that he sat down on his bed with his outside clothes. <laughs> But no, she is just selling the sheets so that they can get money to buy a bike. Which also the fact that six sheets is the same price as a bike. It was more than a bike. to me. He had extra. <laughs> they like got 7500 for their like, sheets. Like why do we need to be out here stealing bikes if it's only the cost of six sheets? Just steal people's sheets. Yeah. Bikes are easier to steal. You can just, you can ride away. Yeah. I get it. I feel like it's a lot harder to steal a full set of sheets. They pawn the sheets, they get the money to buy a bike, he gets his bike back, and then his wife is like, mm, I need you to take me to see a woman. And he doesn't question that. He's like, alright, guess we're gonna go see a woman. <laughs> and so she goes upstairs, he's like waiting outside, and then these other women come up and they're like, oh, is this where the holy one lives? And Antonio's like, the fucking who? And goes up and sees his wife, like, waiting to speak to the Holy One, a.k.a. a seer. And Maria, his wife, is like, oh, I think I owe her money because she promised that you'd get a job. So, like, I gotta pay her. And he's like, no, we are absolutely leaving right now. I can't believe you believe in such foolishness. Like, please leave. And then he calls her a dummy and she just, like, smiles at that. Yeah, he says a lot of things to her that she just doesn't react to. Well, if I if I couldn't divorce, I'd probably also just be like, I'm going to disassociate in my head. I'm not going to, it's not worth trying. Yeah. The next morning, Bruno, his adorable son. I love Bruno so much. He has like a like coverall, like, like a mechanic, and it's very cute. And he's like cleaning the bike and is like upset with how the bike was treated while in storage. And like knows, he's like, this dent was not here, father. And his father's like, all right, kid, calm down. His wife had fixed his hat and like puts it on his head. And she's like, yeah, you look like a cop. And he attacks her. Was that like a common insult then? Because that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea if it was a common insult, but it should be. Anytime, like, anyone, like, you know how people, like, take pictures of themselves with Snapchat and they're like, what do you think of this outfit? If I don't like it, I'm just gonna say you look like a cop. <laughs> In, like, all instances. Even if they look nothing like a cop. I feel like I, I don't know many people that I'm like, mm, wow, that's a cop outfit. I mean, yeah, but lingo for I don't like your outfit. That's fair. Don't buy that. <laughs> so he and Bruno leave and he drops Bruno off at his day of work where he works at a gas station labor laws aren't they a thing i also like did bruno always have this job because he wasn't announced in that job listing like would he still have gone to do that job if the dad didn't get a bike yeah I like i so. didn't understand how that was set up i think that was that was just he got a ride with his father that day and he'd normally have to take the bus and the dad couldn't take the bus because like in theory you could have put up posters 
Sam's bike. No, that was the whole thing. Is he absolutely couldn't even like Antonio was like, I can just walk, and the guy was like, Absolutely not. You need a bike. You don't have a bike. You can't have a job. I don't get why. Because he's not fast enough. But what he needed was the lock belt of Premium Rush. <laughs> All of the bikes were just everywhere. Was stealing bikes not a common occurrence? Like there were just bikes lying about literally everywhere in this film. Yeah, I mean there is an artistic reason why there were bikes everywhere, but plot wise. I mean, like, yeah, but shouldn't the bike thievery just be more common? I mean, based on how it worked at the end, they are a very good community watch program. Yeah, that was impressive, honestly. I'm just trying to imagine myself if someone was like, hey, stop that thief. I don't know what I would do. Probably nothing. So Antonio, like, learns how to apply posters from the guy. And the guy just, like, kicks a small child with an accordion. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why he just does he's like get out of here kid there's like another moment where a guy like stands like on top of bruno and bruno like shoves him out of the way and he looks at bruno and just like taps his head and then turns around <laughs> so antonio goes he's like applying posters really shittily if i might add his bike gets stolen he like attempts to chase him down tries to flag people but then the one guy that's like quote unquote helping him is like he definitely went that way and it's not the way that he went at all so he loses sight of both the thief and his bike he then goes to the police who are like okay you filed a complaint go look for it yourself like we're not gonna do anything like you know your bike we don't know your bike go find your bike and he then takes the bus and he picks up his son whose son is just like bruno is just like it's 7 30 dad like where the fuck have you been <laughs> i love bruno so much bruno's so good um Antonio's just like, fuck off, kid, for so much of the movie. And I'm like, this kid is so cute. And I usually don't think kids are cute. Cherish him, damn it. (laughs) He and Bruno head home. And, like, he, like, leaves the son at the door and goes, like, go inside. And, like, goes and talks to, mm, I don't write his name down. Talks to some guy who's rehearsing for a performance. Unclear. (laughs) This guy's just like, hey, like, you need to go to the piazza. Like, that's where stolen goods are gonna, like, turn up. Like, go first thing tomorrow. Like, I'm sure you can find your bike. Like, you have the serial number. And then his wife, Maria, like, comes and he's just like, this is why I didn't want to go home because you were going to whine. She asks one calm question. She was like, what happened? And he's like, you're whining. Like, no, she's not. <laughs> like, again, I think I would disassociate that entire marriage because I'd be like, I can't divorce you. I guess I'm here. At least you produced me one cute child and a really terrifying looking baby. Yeah, the second baby. Oof. So scary. <laughs> They go home, and the next morning, he goes to the piazza and, like, begins looking for his stolen bike. And they, like, find a bike that could potentially be his. Meanwhile, Bruno is, like, being offered bells by this really creepy, strange man. I don't know why that was included, but it made me uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, this guy just, like, approaches Bruno. He's like, you want a bell? You've been here for a while. I could buy you a bell. And Bruno was like, no, no, thank you. And the strange man is like, it's a nice bell. Don't you, what about something else? I'll buy you whatever. Why did we include that? Yeah. <laughs> that is the neorealism I don't want to think about. But the guy like won't show Antonio the serial number and is like, I don't need to show this to you. So they get a police officer who is like, show me the serial number. And it turns out to be not his bike. And then the team is like, oh, we should go to the Porta Portis market which is smaller and less likely for his bike to be there but they looked here so they decided to go and then bruno and antonio get there and it starts like pouring would have been really easy to steal a bike in the rain commotion well he hadn't say 
morally descended yet. He wasn't there yet. This whole movie, I was just like, there's so many bikes for you to steal. Just do it. Someone else stole your bike. I understand there was a moral falling, but like... You already had fell. Yeah, I'm already there. (laughs) So like that whole movie, I was like, just steal someone else's freaking bike. It's so easy. Just do it. There's so many. All these men at this concert, all their bikes just there, just take one. At the market, they then spot, like, the thief who's with this old man, and the thief immediately gets away, but, like, they, like, catch the old man. And the old man is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know that guy. Who? Who? Who am I? What? Who am I? I will also say... I'd way sooner steal a bike of some random person than call the cops on some dude just trying to do his job and harass an old man all day and then, like, try and beat up some teen with his family. (laughs) I'd way sooner steal a bike than any of those three things. That's fair. And somehow those are not the moral failings. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the beating up is the failing. That he has failed at that point. But then he still has to decide morally whether or not he wants to steal a bike after feeling no remorse for, like, giving a kid a seizure, more or less. (laughs) I I have seen this film several times. I never understand that moment. I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. But like, Antonio's like, oh, this is inconvenient. Rather than like, oh, do you need help? Well, because like, he like doesn't believe that it's real, which is kind of fair. (laughs) That'd be really impressive if I could fake a seizure like that. I don't think I would because that's terrible. Yeah. But like, that would be impressive faking for like someone on the street, not in a movie. I was like, it is faked. It's an actor. (laughs) Well, it's a fake. It's a (laughs) non-actor. It's a non-actor. They actually just cast him being like, who here is epileptic? (laughs) But we're not there yet. So they go after, like, they follow the old man and they follow him, like, into a church. And to get shaved. Yeah. Like, that's invasive. And, like, Bruno just, like, gives this old man the death glare. Oh, so good. He's just here for his dad, who doesn't give a shit about him. They lose the old man in the crowd of the church. They try to follow him, but they lose him. After they lose the old man, like, Antonio slaps his son. And Bruno just is like, Bruno. I'm gonna leave now. I don't want to be near you. And Antonio's just like, why are you crying? Like, what's, like, ugh, like, you're so much like your mother. And I'm like, you just smacked a small child. There was also a part <laughs> during, like, the rain part where he runs and then falls and then Antonio's like, why are you late? He's like, I fell down! <laughs> and that just, that got my, my heart. <laughs> Especially, he's like, what happened to you? I fell down! Because <laughs> he only, he has so few lines and he screams all of them and they're all so good. So good. Bruno doesn't, like, want to go with him. He, like, walks with him, but, like, ten feet away. <laughs> we just such, like, a kid mentality. It's just, like, fine, I'm coming, but, like, I'm not gonna stand next to you. I hope Bruno finds and destroys the bike. <laughs> that would have been a good plot. <laughs> then Antonio, like, leaves Bruno. He's like, okay, wait here at this bridge. Like, I'm gonna go down, look for the old man, I guess. And then as he's, like, down, like, looking, he hears shouts that a kid is drowning. And, like, he's like, oh, whatever. And then he's like, wait, where's my kid? My kid could be drowning. And, like, kind of sinks in that like his kid could be dead so like he like runs back and like sees that it's 
like a teen and he's fine and then finds bruno exactly where he told him to wait like a good little boy and instead of being like oh i thought it was you just is like put on your jacket you'll catch a cold and then shoves him multiple times as he's like trying to put on his jacket just trying to do what his dad said he's so mean to his son bruno and antonio go to a restaurant because like antonio's like fuck it we're fucked i'll never find my bike let's just get so drunk we forget to his eight-year-old child oh my god and they order a full bottle of wine and then try to order pizza but the server's like absolutely not this is not a pizzeria where do you think you are and they order mozzarella sandwiches like which like doesn't feel that far from a pizza but okay like in terms of like class Maybe it was yeah. different in the 40s. They're like, fuck you. We don't serve pizza. We only serve grilled cheese. <laughs> yeah. That they eat with a fork and a knife, but I digress. Antonio does. Yeah. People eat pizza Bruno with a fork it, and like a, a knife, cheese. so who's to say? I also don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Antonio, like, knocks back the wine, and, like, Bruno hasn't touched his wine, and he tells him, like, you better drink. Like, unhinged maniac territory. Threatening. Hey, wait. There's an entire section of Bruno, like, trying to get the this wealthy girl's attention at the other table and he specifically looks back every time he has like a string of cheese from like the sandwich to his mouth and like only in those moments and it's very funny I like that like he's like this is what's gonna work (laughs) (laughs) look when you've got the cheese you've got the cheese no no but you know what maybe I'll maybe I'll go to a restaurant and be like this is how I'm going to flirt with the neighboring people at the neighboring tables yeah just order like mozzarella sticks let it take one and yeah drink the draw the cheese out Bruno and Antonio go to see the holy one who's like talking to this boy and is just like you're very ugly that girl will never love you like <laughs> go so a different field <laughs> like like one that boy wasn't even that ugly I like he wasn't like markedly ugly like he was fine it's so, like how dare that seer mm-hmm. be like mm, you are too ugly I guess we don't know how hot the the field he was trying to sow That's was fair. But it sounded like she didn't either. She wasn't yeah. being like, she's too pretty. It was, you're too ugly. That's fair. That's fair. The ugly boy leaves, and so Bruno just, like, marches in there and is like, cool, there's a spot. This is for me. Fuck lines. Fuck waiting. I've had some wine. He's had a long day. Bruno and, like, the woman behind him get into a fight. And the seer is just like, stop arguing. Please just shut up. Shut the fuck up. I don't care. The seer tells Antonio that either he will find his bike right away or he will never see it again and Antonio's like the fuck does that mean and she was like it means you'll either find it or you won't like what what do you think it means like what do you want me to tell you on <laughs> he pays the woman and like the woman like will not touch his money she's just like oh it's so beneath me pedestrian <laughs> and so they like leave the seer and immediately see the thief like the seer said but they follow him and he like walks in the weirdest fucking fashion. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I've never... Like, that's not how humans walk. I put it in my notes, but I didn't say it because I felt, felt like you'd be offended or, like, disagree. But the thief reminds me of, like, an Italian Robert Pattinson of the 40s. <laughs> Why would I be offended? <laughs> I, I took back the offended to just disagree. Because of the way he walks? No, because of the way he looks. Like his face. Like his eyebrows. Yeah, I get that. But then I was like, oh. And then he walks off like a maniac, much like Edward Cullen. And then my brain was stuck on that joke. <laughs> <laughs> if he looks like Rob Pattinson. I don't find Rob Pattinson attractive. Okay, then that's our... That's, that's our fatal flaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's our base. That's our fundamental disagreement. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I've never found him attractive. Not even in, like, an alarming way? No. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's fair. <laughs> so yeah, I don't mind the thief interactive either. Anyway, so like the thief like walks off absolutely unhinged and like Bruno and Antonio follow him very closely, like, they're not even trying to be discreet, and so the thief takes off running and, like, runs into a brothel, and Antonio, like, forces his way in, but Bruno is stopped, because he is a child and he cannot see (laughs) such things. The girls of the brothel, which, like, are much more conservatively dressed than you would imagine in a brothel, but I guess it is their lunch break. Yeah, they were all sitting down for dinner. Yeah, and they're all, like, fully clothed, nothing revealing, like, long skirts, long shirts, I'm just like, yeah. Sure. Brothels in the 40s in Italy were like that. (laughs) There might have been, like, rules as to how much (laughs) you can show in a movie. You can say the word brothel, but don't you dare show it. (laughs) Both the thief and Antonio are forced out. Antonio, like, causes a huge scene and accuses the man of stealing his bike and being like, you're the thief, you're the thief, and the thief is like, bro... I have never even been to... Could never hear how he was actually Bro, pronouncing... I've never even seen a bike. <laughs> pronouncing it, but he was like, I've never been to Florida. But it was like, Italian Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bro, I've never even been to Florida. I, like, again, I think it was like, Florida or something weird. Who knows? It meant something Italian, I'm sure. Florida's fine. It, it was I bet he's like also Florida. never been to Florida. I'm sure he hasn't. When did Florida exist? Definitely in the 40s. I know, but like... <laughs> How, like, when did Florida exist? 1845. All right, it's been around for 100 years. He could have <laughs> made it Oh, were you like, does he know what Florida yeah. is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, like, how new of a state it was. I also just, like, love the sense of community in this town, that they will all, like, shamelessly defend this man and all also attack Antonio. I'm like, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was like the specific German area. Oh, so it was it was not an endearing moment I where mean, everyone was defending each other. <laughs> it depends on how you read it. It was like, we stick up for our own, which is either racist, but also racist that they need to do that. So who's to say? So, like, he literally, like, attacks this young guy and is just like, I will kill you! I will literally murder you with my own two bare hands, like, and the thief, like, falls into a seizure, and the people on the street immediately turn on Antonio, and they're just like, look what you've done. You've done this to this poor child. And his mother, who's, like, leaning out the window, is like, don't let his head, like, hit the ground. Which is, like, such a weird thing. There's bigger issues at stake, ma'am, but okay. (laughs) But Bruno, who's very smart and, like, ran for the police the first sign of trouble because he was like, this is going to turn on my father and there's a mob of people and he will be brutally beaten up by a mob, fetches the police officer who comes and, like, searches the apartment and, like, the mom is like, do you want to look under his bed? Do you think he has a bike under his bed? And the officer basically tells Antonio that, like, his case is just too weak. All of the neighbors are going to testify on the thief's behalf. Well, yeah, you shouldn't threaten to kill someone in front of all of their neighbors. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, Antonio doesn't have any witnesses. Like, he just doesn't have any proof, and therefore, like, there's nothing that can be done. So Antonio and Bruno walk off, and Bruno's almost hit by cars in the road, and, like, Antonio does not care. He's a bad person. That's the take I've gotten. Yeah. If he just stole a bike in the beginning, would have been fine. 
He's so focused on being moral that he does a bunch of immoral things. I don't know if that's the point of the movie or if I'm just reading it that way. That's kind of the point. There's no point. It's a neorealist film. Antonio then sees this like unattended bike and like eyes it, sees no one's around it. So then he sends Bruno to the streetcar because he cannot steal in front of a small child. But know what he can do in front of a small child? Threaten to murder someone and stalk an old man. (laughs) And then provide him with a bottle of wine. No one seemed like too concerned that Bruno was drinking wine. So I think it's just like a... No, so maybe they were allowed to drink. I think they were. Currently, the drinking age is 16. Yeah, they're just, maybe there just, like, wasn't a drinking age yet. There currently is no legal drinking age in Italy in that anyone of any age can consume alcohol, but you have to be 16 in order to purchase or be served it in a restaurant or bar. So, like, if the dad bought it. Yeah. It wouldn't matter if... And that's, like, current. That's wild. I feel like some states have... In, like, yeah, in Texas it was, like, if you're within arm's length of a parent guardian. Yeah. But, like, that was never enforced. Like, no restaurant would ever do that. Like, if it was... That was, like, if you were caught at home type of thing. Like, it was never... It never came up. Because, like... If you were at a restaurant, you had to be carted to, like, even if your parent was like, it's fine if they can drink. I'm just imagining being like, I'm going to get this bottle of wine for my eight-year-old at, like, a TGI Friday's. (laughs) Absolutely not. He sends Bruno to the streetcar and, like, goes towards the bike. Bruno misses the streetcar, however, and then sees his father as, like, Antonio steals the bike. And then the owner is, like, actually right there and is immediately like, stop that thief! And, like, gets chased down by a mob of people and, like, is caught and, like, pulled off the bike, like, almost immediately. He does not get very far. He doesn't really go in a logical way. He, like, rides in circles for a little bit. (laughs) I'm like, dude, get out of there. (laughs) This was his first bike thief. Grand bike, grand theft bike. Grand theft bike. (laughs) GTB. GTB. Bruno just like starts crying for his dad. It's just like, oh my god, my dad. And like the owner of the bike decides to let him go because clearly he's suffered enough because he's lost the respect of his son. (laughs) They like walk off together, Antonio and Bruno, and like Antonio just starts crying and like Bruno just like takes his hand and they get lost in the crowd. And that is... Bicycle thieves. I love Bruno so much. Bruno is perfect. I saw a TikTok that was like a guy being like, here is who is baby in every show that I'm currently watching. And it's like, baby means that I would die for this character. Bruno is baby. Which is a lot because you don't like child actors. I don't. I think it's because he's not an actor. He doesn't have that annoying... He's just a child. He's just a kid. (laughs) And he doesn't have that annoying, like, that thing that child actors do a lot of time where they're so trying hard to be an actor. It's just like, he's like just being a kid. And it's so pure. And he's just so good. Premium Rush. My tweet is, a group of unlikely bike messengers bond via their hatred of cops. Nice. Mine is... A guy gets way too invested in a bike and nearly dies several times in order to deliver a piece of paper that could easily be replicated. It could also have just easily have been a phone call. Truly. Like, I don't know why the paper existed, period. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because, like, eventually the, it will be... She just calls the person. Yeah, like, and eventually she has to turn in that paper to get the money. And, like, she's not just, like, can keep this paper for forever. I truly didn't understand the plot of this movie. Okay, my other big qualm about it was that when he falls off the bike, like, the first scene, it goes back an hour and a half 
But the movie takes place over two hours. Like, the movie takes place over two hours and the runtime is an hour and a half. So I'm like, it's just not in real time. But, like, it could have been. <laughs> like, you could have just given him an hour to deliver the thing instead of an hour and a half. Because then, like, post him falling, there's still half an hour in, like, time, you know? Yeah. I just feel like that's... You're, you're like, I don't care. That, I feel like that's <laughs> the wrong thing to be upset with. Him calling a burrito an urban food log. That's my hill I will die on. <laughs> Can I tell you why I watched this film for the first time? Yes. <laughs> My freshman RA showed it to us to teach us about bike safety in the city. We weren't even in New York! But it was in the city, in Boston. Uh, Jake just wanted to watch Premium Rush. I don't know what to tell you. That's that's fair. Premium Rush was directed by David Cope and written by Cope and John Camps. Cope also wrote for Jurassic Park and Indiana Jones and the Crystal School and Mission Impossible and Spider-Man and War of the World, which is why I was like, oh, I'm surprised I've never heard of him, but he alas. the ninth I'm most not. successful screenwriter of all time in terms of U.S. box office receipts. Huh. I just have two points of background. In the credits of the movie, we also see Wiley, like, wiped out on a bike and covered in blood and, like, a destroyed taxi, but then someone calls him, like, Joe or Joseph, and it's actually just that Joseph Gordon-Levitt got into two really, like, bad accidents while filming this movie, and they just put it in the end credits of the movie. Jesus! He, like, A, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had four stunt doubles for this movie, but I guess did some of his own things and, like, flew through the rear windshield of a taxi while filming and needed 31 stitches in his arm. And that was, like, easily covered up while filming the movie. And then a week later, he landed on his wrist and, like, needed to wear a wrist guard for, like, the remainder of shooting the film. Jeez. But he also had four stunt doubles for this movie, one of which was a real New York City bike messenger named Austin Horse, who just, like, happened to look like Joseph Gordon-Lovett, I guess. And Austin apparently rode his bikes without brakes, which I didn't know was a thing that people just did. Uh, truly. Until today. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, people just slide like you do on rollerblades? Like, why? Yes, so. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character was like, I don't want it to weigh down my bike. And I'm like, what's it weighing down? Yeah. It was like, he was like, oh, stupid things happen with brakes. Like, uh, no, stupid things <laughs> just happen to bike messengers. It has nothing to do with your brakes. Like, when Vanessa, like, gets hurt, like, if she didn't have brakes, it wouldn't have helped her. I think it was just that her brakes, like, broke off. So she was like, I'll just leave them. She, well, then she, like, took it off. She was like, stupid thing. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you were hit. <laughs> or you fell. I don't know. There's also, someone wrote a book with a similar plot and then sued Sony for this movie. So Joe Quirk in 1998 wrote a book called Ultimate Rush, which was about, quote, an adrenaline-fueled messenger who tears through the city on rollerblades as he tries to deliver a mysterious package, which, like, I'm just upset that this movie is now about bikes and not rollerblades. I understand it wouldn't have been the pairing if it weren't about bikes, but I want to watch the same exact movie where everyone is a rollerblader. I mean... I feel like that's more intense. I also just like rollerblade messengers when they show up at like office buildings, do they go inside with their rollerblades on? I hope so. That'd be funny. The gears thing I also didn't get. I don't get the gear thing either. Truly, how did that help you? This fixed gear nonsense. I feel like it would just make you slower, especially going down hills where you can't put on that extra momentum. A fixed gear bicycle, also known as a fixie, is a bicycle that has- A fixie! <laughs> 
It is the standard track racing design. More recently, the Fixie has become a popular alternative among many urban cyclists, offering the advantage of simplicity compared with the standard multi-gear bicycle. Most fixed-gear bicycles only have a front brake, and some have no brakes at all. It does reference Premium Rush in the Wikipedia page. It was just like, in popular culture, Wiley uses the Fixie. And his fellow writers rib him about his enthusiasm for fixed gear steel frame bike with no brakes. He avoids one confrontation by pedaling the bicycle backwards. Oh, I guess you can pedal bike backwards. Oh, so that's the benefit. Okay. But he also gets into accidents because the fixed gear style abets his- Oh, it just allows you to go faster. I'm glad that they implemented the backwards in this movie. Yeah, (laughs) I'm glad for that one apparent moment he went backwards. I don't remember him doing that. Then we could learn. It was when he left with the burrito. You were probably seething in anger. It was when he went backwards with the burrito. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did leave the burrito. The urban food log. He even was like, can you hold my log? It just- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like that fit with Wiley's character. It, it made me mad. Would I want to be friends with Wiley? No. Do I think he'd be the most annoying person in law school? Absolutely. Absolutely. The like flashback to him and Vanessa meeting at the bar. I w- was like, I want to punch I wanted this man. To puke. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to be friends with a lot of characters though. I wouldn't want to be friends with Antonio either. I'd be friends with Bruno. Yeah, I'd be like, let me babysit your son, please. <laughs> I don't know that I'd go that far. I'll do far. it for free so he doesn't need to work. It would just be you and Bruno sitting, hanging out. The sweet little You babe. teaching him how to flirt in a way that isn't just pulling cheese out of your mouth. Do I know a better way than pulling cheese out of my mouth? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> we'll just get mozzarella sticks and pull it out of our mouths real and like look over and see if we have anyone's attention. <laughs> What an afternoon. I'm not going anywhere else with that. <laughs> I mean, sounds great. At the very I'd least, love to eat we'll mozzarella, mozzarella sticks, sticks all day by like the water. <laughs> like that sounds like an amazing date. I don't. My like go-to date has just been like, let's go to a park and drink a bottle of wine. Okay, but same. Like, things like we're an open. Yeah, and it's very nice. But I, now I'll be like and eat mozzarella sticks. Yeah. seductively at each other. <laughs> you have tender greens in DC, right? What does that mean? It's like the salad place. Oh no, it's like sweet green. Remember sweet green in Boston? But they have a to-go like charcuterie board. <gasps> Ooh, and so it does have meat on it. So I kind of wish it, they had like a veggie option because it has like meat I don't eat but like I would be like I'll pick that up you pick up the bottle of wine meet me at this park great date it's so nice I'm like I want to continue doing that (laughs) yeah especially as it gets like not as deathly hot out in LA I'm like I'm still gonna do it it's nice yeah it's also funny when I'd suggest doing that in like January and it'd be like (laughs) freezing out And it'd be, like, us on a blanket, me in, like, three coats with a scarf, like, wrapped around my face with, like, a straw that I poke the wine up through. (laughs) That's when you bring, like, a hot toddy and, like, a thermos. So this person wrote this book in 1998. Someone from CAA signed him, and it was in the, like, a screenplay was commissioned, but then he never heard anything else. And then in 2010, Quirk's publisher saw them filming Premium Rush, and then emailed Quirk and was like, oh, hey, congrats, like, on your book being made into a movie, finally. And then he responded being like, this isn't my movie. 
<laughs> he then sued Sony, like, quoting that it was, like, virtually the same movie. In a New York Times article, it said, quote, Mr. Quirk got the 2009 version of the Premium Rush script from a source that he won't name, and he is convinced that the movie is virtually identical to Ultimate Rush. His suit cites a long list of common elements from Ultimate Rush to Premium Rush, including character names, love interests, villains connected to Chinese organized crime, corrupt policemen, and a grouchy bike messenger dispatcher with suspect motives, which I feel like except for the character names those are all very vague things yeah and also the bike dispatch guy isn't grumpy he yeah. doesn't have vague motives i don't he doesn't have motives besides chaos <laughs> he's just there he's just, yeah <laughs> he's like oh you need a flash mob bro i got you <laughs> which is the most 2012 thing i've ever heard of <laughs> we needed a flash mob five minutes ago <laughs> he's like oh i got you like i'm oh, sorry i should have known <laughs> Regardless, he did not win. And that's all the background that I have. Opening scene. Wiley, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, falls in slow motion, landing on the concrete right in time with, like, whatever classic rock music is playing in the background that I don't know what song it was and didn't bother to look it up. Oh my god. Are, are you saying because it was an obvious song? Yeah. Wasn't it, like, Sweet Child of Mine? I feel like I would have known Sweet Child of Mine. It was, like, an obvious classic rock song that I'm like, I know I know the song, I just don't know the name off the top of my head. Okay, it was Bob O'Reilly, not Sweet Child of but same vibe we go back an hour and a half we go back to wiley biking like a maniac in the heavy traffic of new york city wiley then monologues about how he can't work in an office because he loves to ride to the point that he doesn't even have brakes or gears on his bike he also as he's riding multiple times somehow plays out like in a doctor strange way every single scenario he could possibly take on his bike and then it shows us five of those scenarios of him just getting absolutely wrecked (laughs) and then like shows him going away and i'm like why is any of this necessary Like, is this a superpower that's just unaddressed? Like, I, like, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know what we're supposed to take away from that. <laughs> like, he just has this weird ability to foresee the future and just, like, keeps it to himself. But it only applies to him biking. Yeah. Or maybe he just only bikes. Maybe we just don't know what it's like in the other scenarios yeah, that's fair. of his life. Maybe it only applies to modes of transportation. That'd be a great superpower. <laughs> or a really terrifying one if you're, like, already riding on a subway and then you start getting all these visions. Yeah. And you're like, I'm, oh no. How do I save this car? We explore the bike messenger world building where all of the bike messengers in the city also all like know and look out for each other and it's very cute, but they also are all competing with each other. I don't know. They all frequent the same bar. Wiley is also dating another bike messenger, Vanessa, and there is a love triangle with a third bike messenger, Manny, who Wiley also has like a weird competition frenemy thing with. Who like, they make fun of Manny because he wears spandex and I'm like, sir, you should be wearing spandex. What? Yeah. That's what bikers wear. <laughs> if you're so worried about speed. Like, yeah, like, I guess maybe I would just wear, like, bike shorts and a normal shirt. But, like, it's not like you're wearing something nice, dude. You're wearing a ratty t-shirt. And also, like, it seems like she was also dating Manny. Yeah. But, like, in a very serious relationship with Wiley. <laughs> I was confused. It was a very weird thing. Because, like, it wasn't like it was open. Because, like, an open relationship. Because Wiley was also mad about it. Yeah. It seemed like they'd, like, just broken up and she immediately started talking to Manny. And Wiley's like, but I apologized. And she's like, I don't care. But you didn't. 
<laughs> we start the actual plot of the movie where Wiley is mad that Vanessa isn't returning his calls while they're both biking and then he tries to make out with her like while they're at work while she's trying to change a bike tire which made me feel like they didn't break up <laughs> also every single person in this film is so sweaty and every single time I would not want to make out with someone that sweaty no she's so and sweaty. even if I did want to make out with someone that sweaty there's a time and a place and it's not in front of all of my co-workers yeah and it's also not while I'm trying to get shit done and it's also not in a situation where I don't have the opportunity to get unsweaty yeah. like if I were immediately gonna go sit in a cold room fine <laughs> or shower then. fine <laughs> even then wouldn't be preferable we can just make out in the cold room. Yeah, just let me go shower and then we can make out in a cold room. Wiley then gets a request for a delivery that needs to be delivered in 90 minutes at 7 p.m. Hence the remaining time of the movie. It just starts 30 minutes before the 90 runtime of the movie that I just like, I think it's because it's only you. half an hour difference. <laughs> it's like so funny how mad you are about this. <laughs> it could have just been in real time. Yeah, but then we would have had to watch it in real time. But we basically did, except for 30 minutes. Okay, it would have been 30 minutes of him biking, just that. Wiley goes to Columbia Law School to pick up a package where he runs into Aaron Tevet, who <laughs> reveals that Wiley was a law school grad who just never took the bar, and that's like the only purpose that he served. But it's just so funny to me that it was Aaron Tevet. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Nima, Vanessa's roommate, who also just kicked her out of her apartment for personal reasons, she hands him the envelope to deliver across Manhattan to Chinatown. A suspicious man, who we learned to be Mr. Monday, I never learned his first name, so he will be Mr. Monday <laughs> this whole movie. I didn't learn any part of his name. His name is Mr. Monday? <laughs> his last name is Monday. <laughs> What? He then demands for the envelope back and Wiley says no. And Mr. Monday's like, do you have a girlfriend or anyone that would care if I murdered you? So Wiley rides away at the loss of his $7 urban street log. Food log. It was like such a weird moment. Like it was like, I don't, it did the thing where he like was like watching a guy. Like, so it did like a shot of a different guy holding the burrito, not urban food log. And then like revealed that he was holding, it was a very weird shot. <laughs> I didn't like what was happening. You didn't like anything regarding the burrito. I truly, every every moment the burrito was on, on camera, I was upset. Because then he was like, can you hold my log? And I'm like, sir! <laughs> it just was such a weird thing because it was like almost like someone else called it that. And he was like, oh, this is smart. <laughs> You know, it's like, if, like, I saw a sign that was, like, urban food log, I would then sarcastically be like, yeah, give me an urban food log. But there was no, like, precursor. It was just him. It was his mind that called it an urban food log. I hope that was Joseph Gordon-Levitt improv -ing. I hope it wasn't. While Wiley calls Vanessa on his continued bike journey now, we find out that Vanessa was mad at him because Wiley skipped her graduation. And she's like, you don't get it. You graduated. And Wiley's like, no, we're the same. We ride the same bike. And Vanessa's like, no, you're unhinged and don't have breaks were not the same. Also, school is important to me. Wiley then realizes that Mr. Monday starts chasing him in his car. This movie is also, like, doesn't play music. It, like, just plays car noises and, like, <laughs> traffic noises. Yeah. And there's, like, two songs. It's, like, eerily very quiet. But at one point, Mr. Monday, while he's chasing Wiley, goes, I'm chasing a bicycle! Ha <laughs> Like, it's, like, the most unhinged thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Mr. Monday is pretty unhinged. He does straight up murder someone. Yeah, that's fair. I can safely say that this is not cop propaganda. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> Neither film is cop propaganda. Like, even the bike cop. Fucking useless. Like, that was just there to make fun of bike cops. Yeah. <laughs> he was just put there to, like, run into things and then yell, hey, buddy, watch it, whenever he ran into something. <laughs> and just being like, hey, you want the shirt? Pull over. Like, that's my- what's the point of bike cops? What are you even doing? <laughs> and then in Bicycle Thieves, like, the town was the bike cop. They're like, we're policing ourselves, except we also have a cop that doesn't really do anything. Yeah, the cop was ineffective, so the community policed itself. They're like, we don't want this cop in our community, please leave. A bike cop then tries to catch Wiley for being a reckless biker when he gets taken out by a taxi. Wiley then has another moment where he envisions all the possible paths he could go down, dies in like five of them, and then continues riding. Is that when someone gets run over by a UPS truck? <laughs> Maybe. I feel like balloons are involved in this one too. Yeah, because that was like the baby. Like This is when yeah. other people die. <laughs> They're, like, very violent for no reason. <laughs> like, there's no reason for this weird superpower to be included. Other than, like, they wanted to include these very violent effects. And we're like, okay, well, we can't kill him off, so let's yeah. have him envision his own death. And then we can do it 20 times instead of just once. I don't even know if it's him. Someone gets run over by a UPS truck, which conceptually wild. But two, it's the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> just like, Why? <gasps> I didn't notice. Wiley then goes to the police station being like, hello, please arrest Mr. Monday for harassing me. I have a picture of his license plate. He chased me only for Mr. Monday to walk in. And then Wiley looks at the picture again and is like, oh shit, this is an NYPD car. I should have inspected that before I went to the police station. Yeah. We flash back two hours in time and Mr. Monday is playing a domino game in Chinatown and a drunk Mr. Monday runs out of money and starts like yelling at people and they're like, you have to leave the game. You're in debt. And Mr. Monday is like, I'm a cop. I'll shut down the game. So the people who run the game are like, actually, your debt will be forgiven if you intercept a ticket transfer. Here's some money. I don't, I actually don't remember if they gave him money or not. It was weird, but they, he like, takes it across yeah. the street. They're like, I don't know why they gave him the money, but they like watch him go across the street and they're like, God, that idiot. I'm like, yeah, you just gave a gambler <laughs> money. What did you think he was going to do? And then Mr. Monday near murders two people. We, there's no near. He does. It was just confirmed later. He doesn't think he killed that man, but like that man's dead. And then leaves. Truly unhinged. I wasn't expecting him to be as unhinged as he was. There's like dirty cops, but like unhinged. Cut to present time. Wiley is hiding in the police station bathroom and Mr. Monday is leaving the precinct and then notices Wiley's bike so then goes back in to like look for him after honestly giving up very quickly on this entire thing. That was his moment of let's go get drunk and forget about it. Mr. Monday then gets a call that he did indeed murder that man and he has an hour to get the ticket from Wiley and bring it to the people who were running the gambling. Wiley calls the dispatch and is like what did you send me to pick up? There's a bunch of cops that are tailing me now even though the bike cop isn't tailing him because of the ticket but whatever so he's like i'm gonna return whatever envelope you gave me and he instead sends manny out to go bring the ticket over we again flash to two hours before where nima goes to her shared apartment with vanessa and grabs 50k and puts it in her backpack and vanessa's like what are you doing you can't walk around new york city like that and brings it to an old man watering his garden and he gives her in exchange for the cash a ticket with a smiley face on it to give to sister chen as a receipt 
for the 50k but like i don't know why he couldn't have just called sister chen yeah like she paid the money truly (laughs) because all sister chen did was then call the person on the the boat yeah yeah and like (laughs) Here's my other thing is like, okay, Sister Chen has the receipt. One, that receipt can still be stolen from her. Like, it's not like it's done. She has it. Yeah. Like, is someone going to go cash out the money with the the old guy whose name I don't know? He advises her that someone else should probably deliver the ticket because Nima is now likely being watched. And then right on cue, Mr. Monday starts following her. So she asks for Wiley to pick up the letter from the bike messenger group and get the ticket from Columbia. First, like, Mr. Monday, like, finds her on the street and, like, she drops her backpack. And, like, this is post-9-11 New York City. That's such a sketchy thing to do. That's so suspicious. <laughs> 800 people just saw her drop a backpack in a crowded intersection. And then, like, immediately get on a bus. Yeah, and immediately vacate <laughs> the area. I mean, I guess if you want to get this guy, like, entangled in a situation where he's probably gonna have to stay somewhere for a while. But that doesn't happen. It's, like, not even addressed. Mr. Monday then finds New at Columbia and is like, you're in danger. The group that you bought the ticket from preys on undocumented immigrants. And Nima's like, cool, well, that doesn't apply to me. So have fun with your fear tactics. And also if you're like with whatever government agency you claim to be from, like, why do you have an NYPD badge? So Mr. Monday gets mad that she's smart. Yeah. Doesn't see through his bullshit. And then like takes her to a parking garage and holds her by the neck and like threatens her until he can get the bike courier slip to change the address of the final destination. I also don't know how he thought that she was going to be dumb when he tailed her to Columbia. And also, like, a college where people can, I don't know, I don't know why the assumption also wouldn't be like, ah, I'm sure you have a student visa working here. Yeah. <laughs> Nima sees Wiley, you came back to return the ticket, which within minutes, Manny has already picked up and starts to take to the new address. Nima tells Wiley that the ticket was for transport for her son, who should have been able to travel to the U.S. and stay there with her, but the government found an article that she wrote about Tibet and now won't let any of her family leave the country. Vanessa, who feels bad for tipping off Mr. Monday because she thought that Vanessa was in danger because she was just like taking 50k places being like, don't ask me questions. But she and Wiley go on another bike chase to track down Manny to get the envelope before he delivers it to the wrong address. And then Vanessa, after wiping out, then removes her brakes as well. And also it was like, Manny was like, oh, you want this envelope? Race me for it. And I'm like, we didn't need a race in the middle of a bike chase. (laughs) Manny says he'll give the ticket to Wiley if he beats him to the new address which also in theory Manny left a while ago like Wiley has a whole conversation with Nima Manny has brakes on his bike he's just not fast but Wiley has pants that catch the air that's fair Manny is very aerodynamic Wiley and Manny continue to race through the park, through the roads, dramatically through some subway smoke, under some trucks, and then the NYPD bike cop gets involved again because they ride through a path in the park that, like, bikes aren't supposed to be on. And then Manny drops the bag, like, at the location because he, like, falls and Mr. Monday's there. But then Vanessa picks it up and her and Wiley try and escape to the right address. As they're escaping, Wiley yet again has another moment where he envisions all the ways that he can die by oncoming traffic. And this time he does get hit as we saw in the first scene of the movie. And, like, in the moment where he blacks out, he, like, flashes back to flirting with Vanessa at the bike messenger bar. And she asked him if he's afraid of dying because he rides like a maniac. And he's like, no, I'm more afraid of being an adult lawyer. And he tells her that he doesn't ride with brakes because brakes are death. And then they start making out, which gets cut short because he wins a bike messenger award. I don't know. He, like, won a race and the prize was a new bike. They take Wiley to an ambulance and Vanessa 
like follows the bike tow truck to get his bike because the ticket is like hidden in the handlebar so she like tails it to an impound lot which I didn't realize that they brought bikes to. I mean they have to go somewhere. Yeah I just like never thought about it. In the ambulance Mr. Monday says that he doesn't give a shit that Nima was separated from her son and demands the ticket and then hits Wiley in his broken rib and is like sometimes bike messengers are inappropriate on primetime news where kids could be watching so all bike messengers would deserve this and then demands to know where the ticket is and continues to hit Wiley in his broken ribs. And like has the ambulance like EMTs like paid off so they don't like notice or like don't care that he's just like torturing. He's like EMTs hate bike messengers. They definitely don't care. It was just like yeah they have to like spend all their time scraping you off the road. That's their job. That's literally their job. I don't think that that makes them anti-bike. And then, like, Wiley's excuse was, like, oh, once you bring me to the hospital, you can't abuse me. So, like, you have to follow my plan. And Mr. Monday's like, you're right. Yeah, and then he doesn't get to go to the hospital. (laughs) No, he never goes to the hospital. And honestly, his ribs are even worse now. Yeah. And it's like, you definitely need to go to the hospital. Mr. Monday brings Wiley to the impound lot, which also means that the ambulance was like, oh, sure, I'll just take you there instead. Because they, like, are in his car, right? Yeah. So I guess they agree to get out of the ambulance, go back to the scene of the crime. Yeah. And get in his car. They're like, actually, boys, we don't need this. Just take us back. (laughs) Mr. Monday brings Wiley to the impound lot under the agreement that if Wiley gets his bike back, he'll give Mr. Monday the ticket. So Wiley says that Manny has the ticket and he'll trade Manny's bag for his bike. Vanessa, who was already at the lot, grabs the ticket. So when Wiley, like, realizes that, he kisses her and says, I love you for more than one reason. Which unhinged she also says something weird like wow that's like the most fun i had with my clothes on and i'm like that's a weird thing to yeah say. like when they like escape <laughs> no Th- what wiley steals a random trick bike and then says i'm gonna shred the shit out of this and then rides like over all the cars and there's like a little chase scene trying to get out and then wiley escapes and then like remembers that his ribs are broken and then starts like not limping but like walking like someone that has broken ribs yeah vanessa goes back to dispatch and says we needed a flash like five minutes ago where her boss calls like every single bike messenger company in the city to quote send out the cavalry which means that every single bike messenger who is at that single bike messenger bar all gets up to leave at the same time if i were at the bike messenger bar i'd be so upset they're so sweaty oh my god it'd be so smelly in there it would not be a fun time unless the people that work there are also like former bike messengers and they're just like camaraderie maybe if i like happen like oh this bar looks busy let's go inside no thank you <laughs> and it was all bike messengers <laughs> and they all like get texts or walkies or pagers or whatever the fuck they were getting oh my god and they all left <laughs> i'd be like no something's happening what's happening <laughs> i'd be like we need to leave the city now i that would be a reverse flash mob of itself like <laughs> something bad is occurring mm. it's like you know how like when animals go really quiet it's like mm, the bike messengers are leaving this is bad <laughs> So, Mr. Monday corners Wiley at a somehow really empty street and demands the ticket and is more or less like, everyone in Chinatown knows someone that's like undocumented so they won't testify in fear that I'll report them to ICE so I can beat the shit out of you without witnesses. He doesn't say that word for word, but that's his implication. Which just like, yikes. But as he's doing his like threatening villain speech, tons of bike messengers just start pouring in. And so Wiley says, suck it douchebag. And all the messengers ride in a circle around him, smacking Mr. Monday as they ride past. 
fast. And then Wiley goes into the restaurant and gives the ticket to Sister Chen. The guy who was with the old man that Nima paid at the beginning just walks up and shoots Mr. Monday in the head. Truly. <laughs> through his Satoku book. Yeah. Which I, why? I don't know. Truly, why? <laughs> they, like, show him, like, sitting in a taxi, like, looking off dramatically as, like, he's doing his Sudoku. And I'm like, oh, why is this included? And then I was like, that's why, but why is he doing this? Yeah, like, Nima, like, calls, like, the old guy to be like, help me. But, like, I, the whole, like, shooting him through the Sudoku book made no sense. And I just, like, the cop, like, not realizing that he'd been shot in the head. He was just like, what's going on? I need to think. He, like, looks in the like window, the window and, and is like blood. why does my head hurt and was just like <laughs> interesting now let me think upon this and then dies the movie ends with Nima's mom and son getting on a boat and Wiley announces that he still doesn't use brakes on his bike and that is premium rush he learned absolutely nothing from that entire encounter in fact I feel like no. it encouraged he him. learned less <laughs> <laughs> he's just like yes I've made the right choices in my life Brooke, what movie did you like better? I like Bruno the best. <laughs> so, take that as you will. I don't like either movie, but I like Bruno. Like, uh, Bicycle Thieves is just not my kind of movie. It's the same as how I feel about, like, Nomadland. It's just, like, it's a fine movie. It's just the plot. Just, ugh. Like, Premium Rush, not a good movie. <laughs> Let me say that first and foremost. <laughs> Premium Rush, not impactful to cinema or filmmaking. Bicycle Thieves, yes. Impactful. Do I care about right. it? No. You don't know what bike movies are going to come out because of Premium Rush in the future. If anything, we learned about the different types of bikes. We literally watched that movie and then my RA was like, now kids, if you have a bike, don't do any of that shit. <laughs> If I were to rewatch something, I guess it would depend on my mood, but probably Premium Rush. But Bruno. I watched Bicycle Thieves for my film history class, and all I really remembered from this film was how much I love Bruno. <laughs> He's such a good kid. See, I'm like, both things I'd have to say about either movie are probably just, like, side comments about things that are not important to the plot. And I can equally do that with both. But, like, Premium Rush is more anti-NYPD. <laughs> That's fair. So... <laughs> Which I guess could be a, my new standard of judging movies. <laughs> Which one of these is more specifically anti-NYPD, including all the movies that don't take place in Yeah, movies. I was like, that's such a specific thing. <laughs> like, there's gonna be so many movies that you just have to write off because they're not anti-NYPD. Lady Bird? Can't like that film. It's not anti-NYPD. Well, I was like, she goes to New York, but like, the, there's no cop. She goes to the hospital. It's not NYPD. It's not pro-NYPD. This is true. The cops could have been called on that party. They weren't. Yeah, she's underage drinking. There could have been a cop at the hospital. That does it for this episode. If you liked it, share it with someone who rides their bike in a city. Share it with someone who you'd eat mozzarella sticks with in a park. Oh, that's nicer. <laughs> Shocking that I have the nicer one and not the very specific and, and also not positive one. Yeah. <laughs> and mean. Or follow us on social media. We are at Film Squids Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or visit our website at filmkidsgiantsquids.com This podcast was recorded by Brooke Hoppy and Lindsay Buttle. Intro music is by the band Poly Action. Transition music is by 13GKO Pekak and Nikki Farad 5000. Editing by Lindsay Buttle. Until next time, squids.